0: Welcome to CPF FireWire, a podcast from California Professional
1: Firefighters, where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve.
2: Hello, and welcome to the CPF FireWire. I'm Brian Rice, your president of the California Professional Firefighters. Today we're picking up or we're starting our second season of the Fire FireWire. In one sense, we're really picking up where we left off last March. Um, Firefighters have been on the front lines in this uh, effort to defeat uh, the global pandemic or COVID-19. The death toll from COVID-19 now has grown. Um, I believe it's over 300,000 Americans. Uh, The toll includes at least one of our brother firefighters, uh, Jose Perez, from Los Angeles City Fire Department, Los Angeles Firefighters Local 112. Altogether, 21 IAFF members have died in the line of duty from COVID. As we record this, we're in the middle of a surge of COVID cases that once again, commands us to be vigilant, um, not only about protecting each other, but protecting the public and our families. Uh, We've also gotten the first real ray of hope that could guide us to the end of this crisis. And that's the development of at least two vaccines that have been approved for emergency use and are going into the arms of critical workers as we speak. And as firefighters and medical responders, EMTs and paramedics, your ability to stay on the front lines is critical. You'll be among the first to receive or have access to this vaccine. More importantly, you're on the front lines in the public health fight to conquer this pandemic. By getting vaccinated and encouraging others to do the same, you you are taking the fight to the streets and it's really important. today. Uh, I have a group of firefighters, your brothers, uh, who like you have answered the call as firefighter paramedics and firefighter EMTs. And they're here to talk about the vaccine and how you can get it, why you need to get it, and how your actions with respect to the virus will make a difference in how soon we can beat the pandemic not not once and for all and get back to a normal California lifestyle. Uh, Joining me today CPF's health and safety director, Mike Fai. Mike's not only a 30-year firefighter paramedic, but Mike spent two decades in the military, uh, including active duty all over the world, um, most recently in Afghanistan and Iraq. Also with us, Jair Juarez, our third district vice president, and Vince Wells, our CPF fourth district vice president. Jair is an active firefighter in Modesto. And he's seeing the impact of COVID every day. Vince recently retired from Contra Costa County. He's currently the president of Contra Costa County, uh, Local 1230. He's in directly in touch with uh, how our members are responding to uh, the COVID crisis. And last day I have Sean Stark, CPF's affiliate service director. Sean spent over 20 years as a firefighter paramedic in the city of Oakland, retired out as a captain. Although Jair is the active duty. Each of these men bring to you an experience level that is germane to the conversation, and I I really wanted to have them here really to talk to each of us, um, not only about the pandemic, but we're in a new phase, and that is the vaccine. So, gentlemen, thank you for coming on. I think a good place to start is to talk about the impacts of COVID-19, how it continues to impact our healthcare system and our members, Jair, you're actively out there responding. Can you, um, and you're in San Joaquin County, and, or excuse me, Stanislaus, but in the Central Valley, that has been kind of identified as a hot zone. Um, what are you seeing on the job day-to-day basis across the department and then across the third district in your EMS responses?
3: Well, thanks, Brian, first of all, for having us um, here to talk about, about uh, COVID and our members. Um, what I'm seeing, I work downtown Modesto, we have a um, variety of, of, uh, of responses that we, that we go to every day. It's the busiest engine in the city, uh, probably the busiest engine in the county. So we have everything from a homeless population uh, and the people coming in for, for business, although that's starting to slow down, uh, but it's, it's throughout the entire city. Uh, we're understaffed right now. And so, and so we're being asked to come back and, and work extra shifts. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to bounce around the, the, the city uh, responding to people that are that are extremely ill and you know we've gone to people that are you know ill in the past but it seems like every from the majority of the calls that we're going to people are having respiratory distress fever cough chest pain uh, my, uh, extreme headaches uh, they've been ongoing or they've tell, told us that they're confirmed uh, 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 COVID positive and uh, and then it's 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 entire households that are that are coming down with that uh, we had a call on the west side of the day, um, the father was was um, already at the hospital, uh, intubated. Um, Forty five years old. Mother was experiencing symptoms, and the three kids were at home saying, "We don't know what we're gonna do. Um, if mom goes, and we know she's gonna come back, um, and, and we don't know what's gonna happen." So, so we're seeing those are the, the types of responses that that we are that what the what we're seeing out there. So we're waiting also it's taking a toll on our, on our obviously our transport system. Modesto fire does not transport. Uh, we contract with a uh, private company. There's uh, I believe three companies in the three different private uh, transport companies in the in the county, uh, three or four of them. And we're seeing the same thing sometimes extended, extended response times uh, from the ambulance up to 20 minutes that we're on scene before we have a, a, an ambulance that, that arrives. We're starting to see now a lot uh, ambulances from Patterson uh, on the west side of the county, from uh, Oak Valley um, on the east side of the county that are coming to Modesto, that, that's, that rarely happens prior to to this pandemic hitting. And, and like you said, it's starting to hit the Central Valley now, and that's what we're starting to see when this first uh, started earlier in the year. We had we had a few cases, but it wasn't, it was not like we're seeing it now. We're starting to see a, a lot of people that, are, like I said, they're just extremely gravely ill. And that's new for us,
2: Vince. I know that um, uh, you retired a very short time ago, um, but you're the active president of 1230. What kind of experience are we seeing um, in the Bay Area and specifically in Local 1230?
4: First of all, uh, thank you, President Rice, for having us on here and allowing me to be one of your uh, guests for this podcast. Yeah, I it's 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 been interesting because um, ever since this um, the pandemic. Um, began, you know, our fire district set up a, um, a you know, a, we call it con EMS kind of a meeting that we do now or every Monday and we get the updates from everything. And at the beginning it was about, you know, setting up command posts, setting up the um, backup hospitals and um, how we're going to deal with the homeless, how we're going to deal with the various um, uh, skilled nursing facilities and and PPE and how much do we have and making sure that we're we're keeping up with, with what we're anticipating because we were anticipating that first surge. And then as we went through the next few months, the other thing that was interesting because we do now uh, run the ambulance business is it went down significantly, the, the number of calls because people were just afraid to go to the hospital, call 911 and, and all the calls that we were getting were people um, super serious, um, which was kind of a difference. So a lot of the people that just called 911 for routine type calls stopped calling. So we were concerned with while wow, we 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 were planning for additional ambulances, and then we realized that it was a totally different effect that people didn't want to be at a hospital. And then now with this, now that we really do now have a surge you're seeing the um, the concerns that we had that at the uh, initial establishment of it and then the other thing is just working on the uh, where I think it really impacts our members is the the return to work policies following the CDC's what are you gonna do if somebody comes to work and gets sick and how are you going to handle that and how many days off and What's a high risk exposure, medium risk risk exposure. I mean, and then I have six different agencies. So we have a one-horse show, a city of Pinole, where we had, um, I'll use ComFire first. You know, it's 270-ish firefighters and we've been able to manage uh, putting people off and still maintaining our engine companies and our resources because of the number of personnel that we had. So we we're able to also be very conservative in our recommendations and following the least risky process as far as, you know, we're, we'll put you off for 14 days, even though maybe there's a situation where maybe you're really not a high risk, but we could afford to basically do that. And then we just had Penol, which is a, there's, um, it's a one station department and we ended up having five or seven folks we had to put off. So the first time in in my history, the city of Pinole had to contract and pay a Con fire engine to come in and cover their station because their personnel were off. So just seeing the the impacts on large departments, small departments and trying to adjust, to try to keep our members safe, but at the same time uh, serve the community, um, it's been a challenge.
2: It, and, and I mean, I'll answer my own question, but as an amalgamated local, that sure shows how much easier those kind of situations help when labor is all one, I, I would think. How are your members doing both on the job and, and at home? Are we seeing increased fatigue? This is a flu. This is bullshit. We need to stop. What, what are we seeing and how are the members morale holding up? Well, Brian, for us,
3: This really started back in March. I believe that's when it was early, mid-March when um, they started to kind of come to California. And so we took a proactive approach. And I think a lot of the locals uh, throughout California did as well, just talking to especially a lot of guys in the third district. But we've been, uh, since this March, every EMS call, every motor vehicle accident, uh, every lift assist, public assist, um, basically anything other than a fire. We're not wearing our SCBAs. Um, we're wearing n 5 masks, EMS coats, goggles. Um, if it's confirmed uh, COVID, or at least we have the signs and symptoms uh, we're leaving, we're having we're sending one guy in, the rest of the crew staying out, outside, trying to walk the patient out to the fresh air so we can do our, our patient care. And we stopped, we stopped our multi-company training for a while. We were right in the middle of testing. We have several vacancies in the department. And uh, we're right in the middle of a hiring process. That all came to a stop as well. And then we have several guys, over 10 guys or another, off on workers comp. So there's a stress of of obviously having to cover those shifts. And several of us are working any, we're, we're working the reverse 4896. We're working the 9648 or the 9624. And that's throughout the department, all three ranks, guys are getting mandatory every day. So that's that stress of being away obviously is there. But this is different, also because when, you, as you, you guys are all well, all aware, you guys were all well firefighters for a long time. When we responded to working fires, we, we can see the danger, we can see the smoke, right? Smoke conditions, we can see the, the where the fire was, if there was a, a a potential for a building collapse, there was there was things that we could see that would trigger us to to react and <clears throat> to take action. This is different because. The people that respond to you, they may not have the signs of symptoms. They may be asymptomatic, but they still may be positive. And even though we're taking the the precautions, like I said, by wearing our PPE, there's still always that risk of that unknown. That that maybe your N95 wasn't completely sealed. Maybe you know that something happened where you got exposed. So, so I think that that has obviously taken a toll on the guys. And then obviously, no, none of us want to bring that home. Now, I have elderly parents, you know, I think I've seen my, you know, very tight family. Uh, I don't think, I've probably seen my parents maybe five times this year. Mm. Um, and that's that's just not, uh, you know, that's not how we operate in my family. And so- oh, yeah.
2: uh, And your folks live, you guys live in, you you live in the same town, you're close.
3: We, we do, yeah. My, they have a business and the, actually the, every time I've seen my parents has been to go see them at the restaurant where we go grab food to go. And it's just real quick for about five, 10 minutes, got our masks on and we take off. Um, so that's that's the impact that it's had on us. It's just like it's it's and I, and I know it's it's not unique to Modesto. I know it's it's throughout the state because several departments were in the middle of hiring. They have vacancies. They have guys out on comp, and they're having to cover uh, those shifts. And they're just responding to these calls on a on a daily basis. And uh, and like I said just dealing with that un, unseen um, danger.
2: Thank you. And I'm going to kind of switch over to um, Mike. And, Sean, and I think, Mike, I'm going to start with you and just kind of um, the very basics on the two vaccines that we're seeing now, I believe, Moderna and Pfizer that are out there now. Um, what are they? How safe are they? We know that there's two of them to date with potentially more coming. What do you think we need to, to know? And, it, and I, that's a huge and a very loaded question, so you can um, you can kind of tailor it down um, as necessary you know, before we go deeper. Well,
0: Brian, uh, thanks again for having me on and uh, being able to address the membership, especially with such an important issue that's facing all of us right now. And I know it's been the great unknown with this whole virus. So again, thanks for getting out there and getting this information. So the Pfizer vaccine, it was approved last week by the FDA, went through the Western state evaluations and now is being used. It's a little more restrictive because uh, it does need to be stored stored in such a cold environment, 80 degrees below zero, and then once it's been uh, taken out, it only lasts for such a period of time for a short period of time. Typically, I mean, most of the people that are getting immunized right now are in healthcare facilities. The next the next one that currently, while we sit here and talk, is being evaluated by the FDA for approval is the Moderna vaccine. People have heard about it. It's on TV. It's a little bit different. It's not as doesn't need to. the the cold storage as much as the the Pfizer vaccine does. And again, uh, they're anticipating to have a lot more of the vaccine readily available. So again, some of the feedback that I'm getting from folks on that issue, Brian, is the fact that uh, they feel like the process has been rushed and they're not skipping processes. They've removed a lot of the red tape that normally would go with some of the vaccine stuff. They've removed a lot of that stuff. It's moving along, but still, the, the panels, the reviews, the studies are still all the same. So, I mean, I, I've heard it all over the place that if, if people think that, you know, they're making shortcuts and they're not making shortcuts. They're just removing hurdles and stuff like that to actually get this out to the public. So the vaccines are truly being reviewed, just like like any normal vaccine. Again, it's just moving along.
2: Mike, how about um, let's talk about how safe they are. I know um, we'll get into this in a minute or two, but I know we've all done flu shots and some vaccines are either dead, the dead virus or a partially alive or, or a neutered part of the virus. Exactly how safe are they and how safe are the vaccines and what are they made out of? Brian, it's not live virus. It's
0: molecular RNA. These are safe. You still can suffer some of the side effects you, like you would with any vaccine. But again, it, it's not because you know, you're know you actually getting live vaccine. It's just a replication of, uh, of RNA technology. They're also more effective than a lot of the other vaccines that we would normally get the flu vaccine, which is usually typically is 40 to 60% effective. These vaccines, currently are some of the most effective that I've seen. I mean, 95% efficacy with a vaccine is almost, am uh, almost unheard of. So again, it's good down and dirty stuff, but this is not live vaccine.
2: And I know you didn't wanna go um, really deep into it because I know that departments are gonna to talk to their members and, and medical directors about side effects. I, I hear things um, really like everybody else, but the one thing that I'm hearing would be a potential side effect could be flu-like symptoms for 18 to 36 hours. And I know that there are others, but I know that our members are gonna really wanna know about that stuff. Go to your medical director, go to your personal physician, go to your EMS department to get real valid information, not somebody's opinion.
0: Yeah, exactly, don't get your medical advice from uh, social media memes and stuff like that. Brian, you hit it right on the head. Every EMS department, I mean, every fire department has an EMS division. They should have a medical director. They should have, you know, those trusted people. And if you don't for some reason, uh, or they're not available, I mean, you can talk to your own physicians. They'll give you the information. And every one of these people is encouraging people to get the vaccination because the, the, the complications from the virus itself are worse than the small side effects that you might get. And some of these things are just anecdotal again, they're finding out more and more. I, I know some of the things that came out on the on on the internet that people had are allergic reactions. Again, people have allergic reactions and stuff, but again, not that big of a deal. When you talk about they've already immunized over fourteen thousand people as part of the trials. I mean, it, it's been very very benign. Some of the complications they have, and it is it's it's very minor. So again, it's not something that people need to worry about. I mean. It's no worse than just a little arm aches, maybe a slight headache, maybe a slight fever, but nothing that's really
2: that bad. Got it. Hey, Sean, I'm going to jump over to you because you and I, I mean age wise we're kind of we're just a few years apart. I'm gonna just kind of go let's roll back in time and talk about vaccines and what you and I experienced uh, not only as kids, but vaccines coming in the in in the fire department. Sean, talk to me about your childhood with vaccines and then going into Oakland Fire what what your experiences were?
1: Well, um, as you know, uh, vaccines have been around since the 18th century, and in many cases, uh, you know they've they've saved billions of lives, uh, measles, mumps, chicken pox, uh, rubella, polio, tetanus we've had this before, so this is nothing new. I don't think it's something that we should be afraid of. And I think it's really important that we encourage our members to to get the vaccine. Um, When I remember when I started uh, with the Oakland Fire Department in 1998, um, we uh, we took an oath to protect the community. And part of that is uh, one of the first steps that you went through in the process of being hired was you went down and you had to get your shots. I mean, that was part of getting your paramedic license, your EMT license at the time. And uh, uh, it was, it was uh, something that we all did. And there was no hesitation on that. We were all excited about getting the job and, and getting out in the field and helping the community. And that's, it protects not only us, but it protects our families and the
2: community that we're serving. You know, what's, you know what's interesting about that, Sean? One, it dates me and I really hate it. I was on the job for 13 years and was a captain when you came on. <laughs> but i started in the fire service in uh, uh Arden american river as a reserve then citrus heights as a resident so like 83 and moving forward i will never forget when the aids virus came out that scared the hell out of us because we didn't know what it was um you know it it ran rampant in the LGBTQ community, um, IV drug user community, and then you would also see folks that had surgeries that had tainted blood. I worked in Sacramento, and if you go 100 miles from Sacramento, tens of thousands of men died in the city of San Francisco of AIDS. We're going to see those kind of numbers across California before we're done. And we have the ability now to protect ourselves, face masks, shields, gowns, gloves, um, like Jair said, bringing a person outside. And now we're at a point where we have a vaccine. And I think back to when the first flu shots came out and we were all just, we're getting flu shots and we all went, we lined up, we rolled up our sleeve, we got our shot, next it was TB testing, then it was uh, hepatitis testing, then it was you know, hepatitis vaccines. Uh, to my knowledge in a department that I worked in, in the end was about 700 members. There just was no, we're doing this to protect ourselves and our families and the community. And that's not what the time is now. And that's kind of what I want to caution our members on. Don't politicize this. The chance to take this vaccine, not only for your to protect yourself so you can protect your community, but it also protects your family. And I just want to really encourage get your news and get your information on the vaccine from your medical director your personal doctor your ems department don't go to social media in those areas this is part of protecting yourself and your community
1: that's right i mean i think uh, you know we we've all taken an oath or we were sworn when we were working as the members are now sworn to protect the community and this is part of that protection that, that we owe them uh, for the the uh, the great job and the pay and the benefits and the the ability to feed our families. I think it's very important that we we
2: give something back to the community to help them protect, be protected. Got it. Mike, I'm going to jump over to you. Vince, Jay or Sean, if you can weigh in too, but let's kind of talk about what um, the process for distribution of the vaccine is going to be. Certainly, where do firefighters fall on the priority list for receiving the vaccine? And then um, where do they go to get it? Mike, what do you you know so far? I'll
0: start off and then we can transition to Vince and Jair, and they can speak more specifically. Generically, Brian, uh, firefighters, uh, since pretty much every one of our members is a paramedic or an EMT, again, they should be in in 1A. Uh, I know that statewide there was a little confusion um, I hopefully clarified that last night on the vaccination committee, and hopefully shortly that should be coming out and being revised. It should say firefighter paramedic, firefighter EMT, and they should be in 1A. And uh, we've had multiple conversations with the, the Department of Public Health to clarify that. So to all our members, basically, you guys should be in the, 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 the front of the process. You should be talking to your departments through your medical directors and your departments of public health and making sure that there's a plan and that you're included in it and that they're not gonna miss you. And I I know most places are, but I'm kind of hearing there are the one-offs where some of these departments may have been overlooked, they might've been left out, they may have been pushed farther down than they should be. Again, if that is the case, do not hesitate to reach out to the CPF, get a hold of us and we can help you maybe navigate some of that process Hopefully, you're working with your departments in the Department of Public Health and your local agencies to make sure that's happening. I'll kick it to Jair first, and then maybe Jair, you can kick it to Vince, and just tell us what you guys are seeing locally.
3: President Rice said it the best. This is this is evolving. It's dynamic. It's changing every day. Uh, sometimes up to the hour. But we just we just learned uh, here a couple of days ago that we were getting the vaccine here in the county. I believe it had arrived today. And so our what we did our department is we we're not forcing. And this is one of the questions that I'm also getting from, from a lot of the locals um, in the third district, I'm sure Vince is as well in the fourth, is, is the concern that, that this is a mandatory vaccine that the city or the department uh, can, can force you to take the vaccine. And uh, <clears throat> so we know that's 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 not accurate. I know that the plans are still being worked out with our, with our local county uh, leaders and uh, our department. I know our, lo- our, our union principal officers are also working with staff. We have a great labor man- management relationship. And as those plans come out uh, for for actual um, uh, administration of the vaccine, uh, it'll come to us.
4: So where we're at is the vaccine is in Contra Costa. We we had the freezers um, that were able to store the uh, the vaccine, and so it's already being administered, starting with the um, with the um, hospital staff and um, personnel. And then we are part of the tier one A. So they're going to, they started with the hospital staff. They're going to be doing skilled nursing facilities. And then, uh, fire is going to be either getting, uh, an additional portion of the Pfizer or one, the, um, the other vaccine, the Madera. Uh, when that one comes out, we may be part of that, but we're expecting to start, um, getting the, the vaccine in January.
2: And you know what, Vince, I'm going to kind of tag you into this next one, um, because you are an, you are an uh, Air Force veteran also. Mike, and, and I want to, I'm going to go to you and then Vince tag on to this. Um, Mike, you're a frontline soldier. You did a career in the U.S. Army. Um, you were a 20-year career, if, if memory serves right. And then you're also a, um, a 30-year fire captain for Sacramento, and you had a very active uh, military career and served all over the world you're probably one guy that I could point to and say, there ain't many people in the fire service that have had more vaccinations than Mike Fai. And you and I have had a discussion about that. Um, not only in the fire service, but um, your life in the U S military. And And I'd, I'd like you for you to talk a little bit about vaccines and how they were a part of your military life and, and the purpose that they served and and to, to have that perspective that I'm hoping that um our members will will see and consider as we're moving towards vaccination.
0: And Vince touched on it, Brian. I mean one of the things that uh is important just because starting in the military, I mean, you receive vaccines from pretty much the beginning of your military career. And it's a lot of that in the in the in the beginning is for prevention just for the people that you serve with. Again, because I mean you, everybody comes from all different walks of life, from all different places, and again to make sure that everybody's on the same, you know, in the same spot and has received the vaccines.
2: Mike, you you said something to me that I thought was it for me. It was profound, and and you talked about when I got the smallpox vaccine, I didn't get it to protect me and and the people in my unit. We got it to protect. The culture and the people we were going to defend and work with, and, and explain that a little bit. I thought, I thought that was pretty profound and, and, and a way of thinking that is absolutely um, relative to the situation that we're in. And you, you
0: did, you, Brian, you basically just said it, but uh, as we did that, it was because uh, overseas, there's countries, while well, in the United States and most of the world, the, the smallpox, it had been eradicated, but in some of these third world countries where we're serving, it hasn't. It wasn't eradicated and we needed to make sure that our members, even though they might have never had it here in the, in the United States, but since the disease didn't exist, they could still be transmitting the disease. So again, they were immunized overseas and it hadn't been done for, I don't know, it was over 20 some years and actually one of my duties working in an austere environment and, and being a medic in the military was to actually immunize uh, our folks as they came over there. So they didn't transmit the disease to the, the populations that we were there to to protect and and help defend. So again, it was, it was a different perspective of actually just like with what Sean and, and Vince and JRL said, we're also charged with protecting the communities which we serve in too. And I know that there some of this is evolving as they go through with some of this vaccine to find the efficacy of you know how much of this w- will protect you from transmitting it. But you know what? As we develop the, the immunity throughout the community and stuff like that, it is also helping protect the community. But again, I, I know Vince has some experience. But it it was it wasn't just smallpox, Brandon. It was a lot of other diseases that we vaccinated against to protect. The, the the people overseas too as well.
2: Thank you, Mike. Um Vince, you want uh, anything to add on that?
4: I don't, I don't have much more to add other than um yeah like when I when I went overseas and uh I went to Turkey during Desert Storm. And when you go to certain areas there's malaria, there's like you said, the various different diseases that that um different countries have and you know you'd line up as part of your in-processing to get ready to go, you know, you took the shot. I never really thought of it the way it's being kind of thought of. This one is being thought of. It's now become like more of a conversation than I think it really needs to be. And I understand there, there are people that have different opinions about it. And and like Jair said, and I'll speak specifically in Contra Costa, I, I, that nobody's going to force anybody to take it, but I do think, that taking the vaccination is the quickest way to getting our lives back um, to normal. And like I said, as a ex-soldier, it's just was part of the, the business of serving your country.
2: Thank you, Vince. And and this is kind of, I'll, I'll throw this out for a little bit of a, a round table. Uh, NFPA and the IFF wellness and uh, fitness initiatives call for personnel, all personnel to have documentation of vaccinations and most departments call for this as well. Is there a reason why COVID the COVID vaccine should be any different?
0: I'll, I'll start it off. Again, Brian, it's another organization to our, our national organization, actually international organization, excuse me. They work with John Hopkins. I mean, one of the top research uh, hospitals in, in the country who's been leading a lot of the information. I think we've actually referred to them, their tracking mechanisms. And again, they're putting out the latest, greatest info, everybody that we've talked to is recommending this vaccine, that you get it. I know there's vaccine hesitancy and some of our members are skeptical, but again, these are proven, very intelligent people that are a lot smarter than a lot of us. These people understand the science behind this and they're the ones that are recommending this. And they're not doing it just because it's the cool thing to do. They're doing it because it's the right
2: thing to do. Why is it important? Why do you guys think it's important for firefighters and other medical responders to set an example in a public health crisis or a pandemic? Do you think that we're looked at as role models in our communities and and if you do or if you don't, why or why isn't it important?
4: No, I think that I think that is. I mean that's the case whether whether you believe it is or not. I mean, we've had just within our jurisdictions we've had photos sent to. You know, our fire chiefs with, you know, crews that don't have a mask on in the engine or shopping and things like that. So it comes along the same lines as expect that the, uh, you know, every time I sit on our interview panels and everybody talks about the integrity and um, honesty and integrity and, and how we are the only workforce that's allowed to go into somebody's house at three in the morning and they leave the door locked. And you can go back into the bathroom, and their wife's in there, or their kids in there, or whatever. And it's, hey, you're here and help. And so, I I think we have that same, you know, that same expectation of how we manage this pandemic, and 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 how we represent ourselves um, in the public that we where we recognize it's there regardless of how you feel about it personally. Uh, but we know that that is what is out there in the public and is a significant concern. So you put your, that, that hat on, uh, that, that we've earned and our profession has earned. And so I just think it's, it's, it's an automatic, um, that we are upfront and, and the ones out there in the face of helping to try to get through this.
0: Well
1: said. Sean? I was going to say, you know, um, I spent most of my career working in East Oakland in a very diverse community. And uh, when I started, our department wasn't as diverse as the community was, and it evolved over time and and got uh, more reflective of the community that we represent. So we're role models. And I talked to a bunch of the new members when I was a captain. I had a lot of uh, probationary firefighters. Um, People are looking to us to set an example. And they look to our members to set an example. And I think it's important to get the vaccine so that uh, folks understand the importance of, uh, of getting the vaccine. So when they have the opportunity that they'll be more willing to take the vaccine as well. A lot of the communities we worked in are a little bit more skeptical of government and in some cases of Western medicine. But it's, it's really important that we set the example for everybody else. When we all got hired, we were quick to raise our hand, to swear that we would, you know, protect the community. And this is an extension of that. I think that it's really important that uh, that we get out there and do it, and then
2: proselytize or spread the word to the community that we serve. Great, thanks, Sean. And I'm gonna I'm gonna direct this question to Mike and Jair, um, and I'll let you two guys tag team it. Um, with all the uh, we have, all of our protocols and protections that we observe, let's just talk about the vigilance. It, you know, on PPE and mask. What message do you have for our members? on continued protecting themselves including the vaccine and Jair and mike i'll I'll put it I'll, i'll put it over to you and and uh you're up uh
3: when we're responding to these to these incidents to these medical calls uh with these signs and symptoms the the one thing that we can do to uh protect ourselves is to continue to wear our our n95 masks to continue to wear our ems clothes or gowns or face shields um because we cannot see That's We can't see that smoke, we can't see the crack in the building, the bottom wall's ready to come down. We can't see that danger. Um, So that's what's known that can protect us the best is to continue to wear our PPE. Even after we get the vaccine, we still need to continue to wear uh, our PPE because there's not enough information yet there to to see how effective it's gonna be. We know it's gonna be about 95%, but it's not, even when we get, do get the vaccine and we don't let our guard down, um, the general public is going to be a while before they get their vaccine as well. And so we're still going to be exposed to that, um, on a daily basis when we're, when we're out there, um, uh, responding. So it's, uh, it's extremely important. The the PPE, the washing the hands, the staying, staying clean, uh, just all the protocols that we follow, um, in the firehouse right now, um, leaving our boots in the at bay and, and using our slippers to go inside the station and, deconning uh, or all the you know the computers, the 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 living areas, our apparatus, our radios, every time our mics that we use on a headset, everything that we touch, continue to uh, uh, let our guard down on that. One
0: of the things I'd like to add to Brian is the fact that it's incredible that what they've been able to accomplish by developing this vaccine in, in in this period of time. I mean, there's been a lot of negativity, and I think it's incredible. I think it, this is. A, something that is so positive that they've been able to work together to come up with this vaccine and develop it and be able to get there to the, you know, in less than a year and be able to give it to people with with the efficacy that it's shown of 95%. I think, I mean, it, it is, it, it's an accomplishment. I, I think, Brian, you alluded to the polio vaccine and everything that had to go to through that back in the day to to make a difference in the time that it took and stuff like that. But you know what? I think people don't put it in the context. This is truly a remarkable time to live in to be able to see, you know what the, what technology is able to accomplish when it's actually put to use. And and I'd like to take, you know, encourage everybody to be positive like Vince and everybody else and Sean and you all talked about and Jair. We're out there in the community to be that positive light to make a difference and we all have that and sometimes i think sometimes it gets lost as we as we develop into our careers a little bit but again what an exciting time to be to be in to to be able i know it's been tragic with everything that's gone the the amount of life that has been
2: lost but but it truly is an exciting time mike thank you and and sean And Vince and Jair, um, thank you for taking the time and putting the thought. We're going to post links on the CPF Firewire website to both uh, the IFF vaccine information and also uh, state and national websites that will give you uh, information on the vaccine. And and really to close, I I think that we'd be remiss if we did not um, acknowledge President Donald Trump. And his Operation Warp Speed, the president has spoken a lot about having a vaccine and having it ready. And it's here and it's December. And I think that um, the president is owed a, a tip of the hat and a thank you for delivering on the vaccine. You know, that being said, we now we have a responsibility and each and every one of us, when we were firefighters, we raised our hand and took an oath. And I want you to think back to your chief's interview um, or your um, oral board interview and all the things that you said that you didn't just say that you meant wholeheartedly with all your heart and soul to get this job. And now you need to apply those things and that raised hand and be an example in your community And your communities, your family and and the people around you, um, whether it's your church or or whoever, um, they need to know and they need to see that you as a firefighter are taking a responsible role um, in the community. When you're at work, the one thing that we don't need is we all know people that own the coffee table and own the conversation um, with their opinions and their personality. Don't do that. We should each be encouraging Um, One another. If you are unsure, go to your department medical director, go to your department EMS division, talk to your captain, talk to your physician, but don't buy somebody's bullshit opinion at the coffee table or social media. Now is the time to remember that you took this job on for all the warts and wrinkles, the good times and the bad. And we're in one of the bad and there's a way that you can protect yourself with a vaccine. Think about not just your loved ones and going home, but think about the community you serve. What if you decide not to give the vaccine and here's one you may never know, but you go to a home and you're a host or you're carrying it and you pass it on and it goes to a family of six and wipes out um, the mom of three. It's not about you at this point. It's about um, doing your part in your job as a professional and respected firefighter, EMT, firefighter, paramedic, captain, engineer, and being the example in that community. And I would say the same thing is if I was a captain at the table, seek your opinions in the right spot, remember your oath. This is where the rubber meets the road. Everything else needs to be put aside and we need to do the job that we need to do as trusted professionals in the community to push that ball further. I wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, I hope that you enjoy your families, um, such as it is um, under the COVID thing. I'm in the same spot that all of you are. I've had a grandson um, that I've not been able to hold since this thing started. And those stories are all across this union. Let's do everything we can to bring back the California lifestyle and the way that we do that is uh, acting and answering the call and being responsible be careful out in the field and again um, we'll be coming back to you uh, with the firewire for our new season thank you one and all merry christmas happy new year
0: You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott.
3: Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.